In this episode, and your request, we're going to analyze the body language of Kyle Rittenhouse as he's on trial, providing testimony to his attorney during what happened this last week when he broke down on the stand that many people were calling fake or they didn't like it, mainly because they've already had their opinion on what should happen in this trial. We're going to go through his body language step by step of a couple minutes of video leading up to that and see what it says. I realize that many of you out there already have an opinion, and that's fine. We can all have opinions. I've got one, too. But I'll tell you this much, as much as my end assessment of this might disagree with half of you, I'm going to let you know not everything he said is truthful. There is deception in there, and there is truth in there. We're going to break down using body language, detecting deception skills that we have learned on this show, things like reading eye movement and words and phrases and statements and how they're written to come up with what really happened on the stand that day. So no matter what position you take, there's going to be something in here that supports the thoughts you already have. So Kyle Rittenhouse, reading his body language, that's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. To start, I wanted to say I didn't really want to do this uh, for several reasons. Now, granted, I should do this. I have mentioned many times using court proceedings or political speeches and things happening in the news as ways to practice your body language detecting deception skills. So I kind of trap myself into this. I also have mentioned before that if you have a question or something that's good enough to do a whole show on, I'll do it. And I kind of need to follow through on this one. The reason I don't like doing it is it's highly political. This is a political trial. Despite your opinion on what did or did not happen and what should or should not happen to Kyle Rittenhouse, I want to point out that why many people have made most of their decisions, most of which are emotionally driven for most people, most of the time, as most things are in our life, as we've talked about many times, I don't want to lose listeners over this either just because they've already decided, but I realize that that's your decision and not mine. So I'll tell you up front, as I did in the intro, I do have an opinion and assessment on this, especially before and after I analyze the body language. Doesn't mean I'm right, doesn't mean I'm wrong, but there is deception and there is truth-telling in this video. We're going to break that down. There is a link in the show notes, and I want to tell you that link starts at about 30 seconds into about a two-and-a-half, three-minute video. Reason for that is you watch the first 30 seconds, you'll see that the defense attorney starts to ask him some questions as he begins to walk. I think he ends up walking behind the prosecutor or something. The prosecutor objects, said he's leading the witness, to which the judge agrees, and then the camera cut in there, it almost looks like there's a piece of video or something missing, and it goes straight into the portion of walking through the events that happened leading up to the shooting and during the shooting, and where Kyle Rittenhouse has his breakdown that we see that some people are calling fake. Now, whether or not it is fake or I tell you that it's fake, do understand that, remember some things we've talked about deception. For example, people that offer unrequested credentials is a sign of deception when they're trying to prove their point, unless their credentials have already been challenged. So if somebody says, well, you don't know what you're talking about, I get it, and then you respond with your credentials and why you would, that makes sense, that's not deception. But when somebody starts a conversation on their own and brings up unrequested credentials as a way to prove their statement that by itself doesn't contain any factual basis, that's a big sign of deception. So it's no surprise to me to see famous actors coming out and saying, well, I know what acting is, or I've been an actor for this long, and I know fake crying, and this guy's fake crying. It's like, there's nothing there in that statement to indicate you know shit about that other than acting. Although it's an easy sell. And that's part of the reason I went back and decided, 
I'd find a clip, which was easy to find. I'd read the body language and go through and check this out and see how close those guys are or how far off they are. So let's get into it. It starts with finishing a question the defense attorney's asking about the events that happened. Kyle Rittness starts with the phrase as I'm stepping forward. You'll see that he has his right hand out with two fingers almost touching as though he's trying to pick like a fly off a leaf. And he keeps his hand in that position the whole time, his arms up. And if you watch his eye movement, you see it goes to a recall position. I couldn't tell if it was audio or video. It happened so fast because I can only see his face at a certain size. And go straight down to inner dialogue, which makes sense. Common thing that people do out of habit when they're answering questions, which has no bearing on whether or not the question is that important. It's just something they do. And then it goes down all the way to our 7 o'clock position where we start to get emotion, which in this case, it's kinesics. So it's either emotions, how we feel, or things we're actually feeling and touching. And based on the descriptions of what we're doing here and descriptions he's giving, he's not discussing things he's touching He's showing emotional connection to the story he's about to tell. Now, that by itself is not an indication of truth telling lying. That just gives us a starting point of where this is going to go. He then looks up at the defense attorney as he says what the guy's name is that he's not completely clear on or that he's learned now that that's his name and that he steps forward with a pistol in his hand and that's when his arm goes down, not him testifying this. That's when his arm, you see, will go down. And he begins to tell the story of the steps that take place. Now, I want you to remember, too, I've talked about early on about things like prologues and epilogues, about how much we tell whatever, whether or not stories are in chronological order. All that is factual and taking exception. The thing you have to remember about a court trial is you almost have to throw that out the window unless they're asked a question to explain, hey, give me this whole story from point A to point B, and I'm not going to interrupt you, which doesn't happen here. Typically, what's happening here is what happens in any court case where they're walking you through the story point by point based on the questions they're asking, which doesn't allow a lot of time for somebody to tell a complete story to see how they do the prologue, epilogue, and the order in which they tell events. What I'm saying is you're leading them through the story, not leading the witness in the sense of attorneys shouldn't do that, but you're leading them through the process of telling the story by virtue of where and when and how you ask the questions. It's actually not too dissimilar from actions intelligence officers may take in certain situations when they're debriefing somebody. At this time, he's getting ready to start telling his story. You see him blink, and you can see if you watch that little blink and what happens as he puts his head lower left to where his chin's almost grabbed by his left hand in the position called the thinker, we see our first sign of emotion of where this is starting to get to him. You can already tell by now, based on the initial questions were answered, that his entire tone and mannerisms have changed, that the emotions are starting to come and overwhelm him, or they probably will. When I saw this, I was like, yeah, this is definitely the clip where he breaks down. That's something that's leading into it. Now, at this point, when I saw it, there was no indication to me whether or not his breakdown was going to be fake or real. But the fact that we're already starting to see emotion, we see it with the eyes, we're seeing it in the sound or hearing it in the sound of his voice, my first thought was people that fake things don't do that leading up to it while showing other movements, other body language and asking questions. That just doesn't happen. Nobody's that skilled. And I would testify to that in court if I had to. You'll notice too that at this point, right when his chin goes down, he's about to grasp his hand into the thinker position. You see his eye movement go back over to do a recall, but it's like it can't and it's drawn down into internal dialogue. That's because, again, have to do internal dialogue. That's part of who he is. Most people do it. But he also needs to recall information. 
So what his body's reacting to is going into the thinker position to make up for the fact that his his brain can't process recall without assistance because it's also going into inner dialogue. Which is interesting because it shows us a little more reality of court because we always see whether or not people are prepped or prepared by their lawyers for court and what we see in movies and TV shows. This gives you an idea that even if that happened, when emotions are involved, even if they're not, how difficult this can be in that position. I do want to point out to you that at this point, one thing I thought about his emotions was I can't at this point connect it to what he's saying or the events that happened. We'll see what happens in the next few seconds. But I had to consider the fact that he's a kid. He's on trial for murder. I think he spent some time in jail. He might have been in jail the whole time. I don't know. I didn't follow that. He's now up there on the stand, and he's now got to account publicly in a legal process for the decisions he made that's going to contribute to the jury's findings that my guess is won't take very long. Now, why is going in and out of the thinker there for about a second? You see him kind of say, um, that's the pause we have when we're trying to formulate our words. You'll see he brings his hands up again. It's slightly different. It's almost like in a grasping effect. And you'll notice that he's moving his hands in cadence with the things he's saying. And as you watch the next few seconds, if you watch it a few times and follow that hand movement and get used to the phrases to where you can recall them quickly, you realize that what he's doing is something that's typically not faked or not faked accurately most of the time, which is he mimics movements for the next few seconds as he's discussing uh, the story. He'll mimic movements in proper action according to the story he's telling. What that means is it's a subconscious act where his body is going back through the steps, how they happened. And this is actually important because in court trials, people that read body language, the few they're ever brought up to do it, will actually take video of testimony and go back and bring it before a judge or a jury and show how, yes, they said this, but when you read their body language and all the stuff we know, what this shows is it contradicts or it says that they're doing this or it says, you know, there's been ones in murder trials which says, well, he says at this point in his statement, this is where he pulled the trigger. But if you watch his hands, he reenacts it and he actually pulls it here. And that has been used in testimony. So right now, in the seconds coming up and here, what I see is his movements are mimicking what actually happened at that time. And it, they appear to be mimicking it correctly. Or I should say, mimicking, perfectly matching his statements, which is very uncommon in somebody that's a rehearsed liar, especially with all the things we've already talked about that are difficult to do. You'll see as he goes into these next couple seconds and he talks about dropping the fire extinguisher right after he says that he drops his hand, which means that's when he did in fact drop the fire extinguisher. That's why his hand's going down. And if you watch the way his hand's grasping, he's mimicking, he's holding it and he's dropping it down. You'll also see that he very short but quickly nods his heads a few times, which is his brain coinciding with his statements, showing essentially truth telling and not deception that in fact, this is a true story. This is what is happening. And then at the end of the statement, before the defense attorney asks the next question, you'll see also his left shoulder arm kind of drop a little bit. You'll see him slightly lean back and lean more towards that left arm anchor that he has there and saying that's when he took the step back. Again, his body mimicking what he did. What you'll notice too is in this statement, when he talks about, you know, the fire extinguisher's down, but he takes a step back, you'll notice his body is perfectly in time with that. Whereas the one where he's putting the fire extinguisher down, it comes after the effect which means that while this is all a very quickly rapid thing, what that suggests, because the second one matches and the first one's afterwards, 
that even though it's mimicking that he fact probably did put that extinguisher down, he probably put it down after the initial point he's saying he did. Doesn't mean he's lying. I mean, you could say he's lying, but what I'm saying is it doesn't mean he put it down minutes later. He might have put it down a few seconds after. It also might mean that he needed to complete that thought in order for his body to react to the action, but I would argue against that if I had to go on court because his second statement, he did it completely um, simultaneously. So that's our first sign of deception is that when he put that fire extinguisher down, it probably didn't happen exactly at the time he said it. But one of the things we're missing here is we don't have a clock. We don't have taped events showing exactly when every step happened of every movement he made to verify that. But it would suggest to me that it doesn't match perfectly. There's probably a reason for it. You'll then see the defense attorney's question takes up until, let's see, 59 seconds before we see his next response. We'll start with him looking low to the left with an open mouth, going back to inner dialogue. Point out again, he's still leaning heavily on the left. That's his natural anchor because of stress and nervousness. I mean, come on, he's a kid on trial for murder in a courtroom. He's going to have an anchor. I would actually be suspicious if he didn't have that anchor. If he didn't have that anchor and at this point had done less physical body movements and signs that most people will have subconsciously that cannot be controlled while you're telling these stories in, in that fashion, that's when I would start going towards this guy's probably going to start leading us down a rabbit hole and telling a bunch of garbage. But right now, the overwhelming information says that what he is saying most of the time is factual, but we still have that discrepancy with the fire extinguisher. But let's see where this goes. Now, the attorney asked a question about what his plan is as he walks through what his plan is. A couple of things to point out here, and this is where it's bad for him. This is where he's the one time in this clip he definitely straight up lied. One thing we'll look at his hand movement, it kind of goes in what we call a chopping motion. Military people knows it as a knife hand, but he's using the way most people use the chopping motion and kind of slightly pointing, which is a matter of fact, I've made up my mind. This is definitely for what he's saying, what had happened. But also in the method of which you're using that almost pointing, while pointing is considered impolite and there's a lot of ways in which you can point can mean things. This one is typically used when people are showing emphasis to what they're saying and typically communicates confidence and authority without being used in an overly arrogant or negative way. So that's not good. But what's more importantly is the most obvious body language signs he had are the ones that tend to be his deceptive ones. And in this one, you watch the whole statement, watch his head. He's shaking his head no the entire time. That suggests to me a few possibilities. One is this definitely wasn't his plan, which is probably the case no matter what. Two is how did he come up with that statement? Now, granted, there's going to be some prep before the trial. Was there something that happened that we'll never know about based on the questions the lawyer asked? Even if the lawyer did it in the best possible way and he did it completely legally and did it nicely, just trying to figure out what's going on in the kid's head to where whether the lawyer and or the kid by themselves came up with this idea of this is what the plan was when that in fact wasn't. And the thing is, it could be too that he didn't have a plan at this point. He just saw this happening. He didn't have the experience or the situational awareness or wherewithal to come up with an immediate plan. Or perhaps if he did have a reactionary plan subconsciously, it's not something he can recall consciously. But he's giving an answer. And no matter what, he at least disagrees with this answer. But I, I would venture to say that definitely wasn't his plan but i'd also like to know why he made that statement 
Did, in fact, he just not have a plan? Did somebody say, well, maybe we should discuss possibilities of plans you could have had, or if you think back over it now as though we're constructing things that didn't happen because having a plan makes you look like you're more trained and experienced. There's all kinds of possibilities there. But in any case, he didn't have a plan. That's a fabricated statement and is not true. You notice, too, that as he finishes that statement and falls back up, it shows the defense attorney and asking, you know, did you, in fact, get to go in that northerly direction? Watch the defense attorney's eyes, even though we're focused on Kyle Rittenhouse, house, based on everything he's doing, his pattern of eye movement. What he's showing is that he's doing, and with his voice tones and everything, he's doing recall of that statement. Why would the attorney, why would his brain, for all the clips I've seen of that guy, not just here, why is it this one time he needs to go and do a recall on that statement or the direction he went when he literally just made that statement? I mean, he's an attorney. He's been doing it for a long time, and he's well-prepared. To me, that actually supports the idea that there is a constructed statement that Rittenhouse and everything he's doing being asked about the past is showing consistent patterns of recall. We get one where he's not doing recall, but instead his head's telling us, no, this is in fact not true. I don't have a plan. Then when it goes right back to the attorney who's asking a follow-up question, referencing what was just said one to two seconds beforehand has to do recall in order to understand the correct direction they're going on. I don't know. Could it be that there's just too much information there and it's hard to track all of that? Or to me, it's more supporting the idea that, hey, these guys are working together as a team as they would, and this is in fact not a true statement. We see at this point when he finishes that question, he goes back into explaining what happens after the step you'll notice in the beginning he starts to nod his head and say i i would suggest based on how everything's happened up to this point he's acknowledging the question of course i'm going to answer it but we start to see and hear that emotion again as he starts to begin to stutter through i and kind of pauses and then goes into restarting the sentence about taking the step back that's not a sign of deception that's actually a sign of truthfulness and accuracy that correlates to his emotional response and his body language suggesting that more than likely what he's about to say is probably a truthful recollection. However, let's see where it goes from here. We see at this point, as he's trying to work through the sentence of saying what Mr. Rosenbaum was doing, he puts his hand up again in that same picking a fly off a leaf thing that he did in the beginning when he was also showing emotional uh, distress while talking and testifying. This suggests to us that repetitive behavior, that that of course is natural for him and definitely wasn't fabricated the first time, Suggest some possibility. It may not be this time, but we have to look at everything. Because remember, this is all cluster. The cluster is what all the pieces are doing, not just one, including the statements we're making, the eye movements we're making, the words we're choosing, our tone of voice, our inflection, and all these things. You'll notice that at the beginning of testimony compared to now, or at times when we're not talking about the actual event as it's happening, his reaction is a lot more, I guess I'd call it calm and cool in comparison to now when he becomes more emotional. He begins to break up in his words and having difficulty starting and stopping his statements. Those are signs that this is, in fact, an emotionally charged situation for him. It suggests at this point that the emotionally charged situation isn't what we could have considered just being a kid on trial for murder. He may have already worked through that process. It's recalling these events and what happened, the actual events themselves, is causing him emotional distress. This would suggest to me, and I would imagine counseling might determine this, that his issue... What he's showing distress with an emotion to isn't the fact that he's on trial. It's in the fact that he killed somebody and he's got to live with that now and that it was a scary situation. So let's see what happens. 
We notice again his body language is mimicking or mirroring the actions that actually took place, and they're lining up exactly with his statements as they happen, where he takes his right hand and mentions Mr. Rosenbaum running towards him. So he actually, as he's making that statement, puts his hand out a little farther and brings it really close. That's to indicate with the statement that he was, in fact, coming for him. And because his right hand's still engaged, he reaches over to his left to identify his right side to show that, in fact, he was coming to the right side. But we want to point something else out, too. Remember, we have that comforting thing, that protection thing, where we put our hands around our center of our body, and it's not the arm-folding one. It's typically around our gut. But at this point, he's describing he's under threat by somebody, which I don't remember if this is the guy with the gun or not. But when he pulls his hand in close, look how close that right hand is and how he reaches over with his left. To me, that also suggests that he's seeking comfort and showing signs of protection, that he needs to protect himself. And that supports the statements he's made earlier and that he's making now that he was, in fact, in danger. And that's what he believed to be the situation. Now, as you play the next couple seconds up to 46 seconds, you'll notice that follow his right hand, his left hand and his head movement with the statements where he talks about Zeminski and then still references Rosenbaum without mentioning the name that, again, he's mirroring mimicking the movements perfectly with what he's saying about where the pieces were and where it was at. And he's doing that so well that he's matching up with his natural recall, showing that this is in fact what had happened. It doesn't matter how long it's been or how much time he spent thinking about it for him to have this much clear recollection for as traumatic as the situation was for him, where he's not distracted by the possible stress and trauma of the trial or so it appears which suggests to me it was very clear to him what happened, that it's burned in his brain and probably will always be there as a significant traumatic event for him. And that even if he thought it over that night and replayed it in his head to make sure he did everything correctly as far as he knew, which he very likely could have, it just shows that it is stuck there and it'll probably be stuck there forever. As he's describing this, watch his face and how his lips purse and not in an even manner, again, shows actual somebody's about to break down and cry. All these things put together at this point suggest to me that if he's about to lose it right now, it's not fake. We'll see when it actually happens. But I'm starting to lean at this point when I was watching that this is probably based on everything I've seen so far, despite the sign of deception and the straight up lies told, he definitely has emotional reaction to this and he's probably going to lose it. Something notice this point as he does lose it and he's having difficulty breathing like a small child could when they're really in trouble or really scared or really fearful that when we look at the universal facial expressions, the one we would expect to see, especially if somebody's lying, is going to be something like contempt or fear. He doesn't show six of them for sure. He only shows sadness through this entire several seconds, which is hard to do when somebody's faking this. Additionally, the people that fake it, and you see this people that fake cry or fake breakdown on movies and TVs all the time, what happens? Part of it is they'll bend their head over out of place so you can't see it, and they might even put their hands up to their face as though they're reenacting the idea of wiping the tears away. But actually what their body is doing is showing the sign of deception, basically hear no evil, see no evil. He doesn't do that. You'll also notice that even when he blinks his eyes, he's trying to control it, and you'll see his eye movement always go down to that 5 o'clock position, going back into that natural position he has of internal dialogue. He's trying to control this and fight through it in order to answer the questions. And people that fake cry or fake breakdowns do not do that. Actors do not do that. Actors are not trained hardly on anything in body language. And they don't realize how clear it is that this is a legitimate anonymous breakdown based on all the emotions that's built up to this point and that it's really bothering him. We're also getting the point, too, in the story where he's about to talk about, I pulled the trigger and shot these guys. 
So the trauma to him, the stress, the emotion is connected to the fact that he killed these guys, not connected to the fact that he's on trial for murder, not connected to the fact that he might go to jail for the rest of his life. Everything he's saying is about, I killed these guys and that's really what's bad. Now, as he's doing this, you'll see his hands start to switch, especially when he brings his right one up where he has the palms down. That position, what it tends to suggest when the person's talking to you is it shows confidence, meaning while he's bothered by the act that he, of what he did, which is what all this is suggesting at this point, it shows confidence in what he's saying. Why that's good for him is it shows, look, everything I'm telling you or trying to get out of my mouth right now that I can't because I'm crying is to show you that, in fact, I am confident about this is what happened. However, comma, I'm having a hard time doing it because of all the emotional stress is really what that's conveying. It also conveys rigidity. Rigidity can be interpreted many ways. The obvious way to go with this one would be the way I would stick with is that it's actually rigidity for him, that he is, as the few seconds leading up to this, trying to fight through this emotion in order to get those statements out, and he's trying to stay on point and stay on task. You'll notice, too, that at a point his attorney, I believe it's his attorney who says, take a breath, Kyle, that, you know, he looks over to him to acknowledge him, and it kind of throws him off and almost resets this situation. But I don't think he was getting through it anyway. And looking at his lawyer is important because one of the things you notice is that one of the things I mentioned is people that stare too much at somebody is actually the sign of deception, not the looking away. And if you watch throughout this whole trial, especially in the beginning, when other people are talking, he's paying attention. He looks around and sees what's going on in the room. He looks at people based on what they say. And a lot of people that are guilty, they're not going to do that. And remember when I say guilty, there's a difference between whether or not you're guilty in the legal sense, court or not, and whether or not you feel guilty about something. Do I think he feels guilty about what he did? I would say no. I think what he feels is sadness over the fact that it happens in remorse, which we could call guilt. But everything he's doing, everything he's saying, and other testimony, especially if you watch ones of the prosecutor reading body language or not, he believes what he did was right. He believes his life was in danger. He believes he followed the appropriate steps. And he's okay with that. But he's not okay with the fact that it ended up with him killing somebody. Well, a couple of somebodies. At this point, his breakup accelerates. And it goes downhill from here for the rest of the video where he continues to break down and they take a break or they suggest they're taking a break. You'll notice right before that happens that he puts his left arm down as he raises his right arm up, more than likely because he was in such a rigidity position for so long with his arm up. His arm was probably tired and he just naturally switched them. By itself doesn't mean anything, but notice that he keeps the hand positioning the same because he's still trying to work through this. He's trying to get the answer out this whole time over several seconds which is not what people do when they're fake crying or faking their story or trying to get away from answering a question or all the things deceptive people do. So what's my overall assessment? My overall assessment, just looking at this piece, although I could support it if I went through other stuff he does with the prosecutor, but just looking at this piece, I think it's everything I've said at this point. Number one, he was very deceptive at the one point talking about the fire extinguisher. Clearly, whether or not he had a plan, that was not his plan and I would say that that's definitely a lie and should be looked at because we've got that point of deception and the straight up lie. Point out too that everything he's doing and because of its consistency with body language, people that fake it, that are pros at it, can't fake it that long, that consistently doing it exactly the same way every time, no matter how much they practice, it just doesn't happen. There's studies for that stuff. It does not happen. 
that suggests the emotional response is completely real. The emotional response is completely tied to the fact that he killed somebody. And as the closer events are getting up there, it's also demonstrating or probably mimicking his emotions at the time, whether they were conscious or not, of that that was coming up, what he was about to have to do that may have in fact involved fear. But he's not showing fear now, which makes sense, because the only reasons to show fear now is he still feel for that situation happening again. Well, it's not an attacker that might be getting let go. The attacker's dead. So it's not going to be fear for that. Fear might be for him being on trial, fearful of getting convicted, but he doesn't show that, or feel for the results of what he says, but he doesn't show that. Instead, he shows sadness and only sadness. And he maintains holding that sadness at the end, trying to work through to make those statements, things that people that fake this stuff don't do. The real trauma of this situation and what is really getting to him is the fact that he killed these guys, not the fact that he's on trial, not the fact that he go to jail for the rest of his life. That's not what he's showing at any point when he walks through the story. It's solely focused on the fact that these guys are dead and that he did it. If he is now, did before, in the future feels guilt, it won't be guilt in the same way as I know I broke the law. It'll be guilt as I feel guilty that the consequences of my actions resulted in this. And the best thing I hope he can hope for is going back to other testimony you'll see that he's given, if you look at it, where he believes he did the right thing and followed the law. He doesn't question any of that, and that's what's going to probably balance out to keep the kids sane. So he's not 100% truthful, and I'm not sure the significance of those things he was being deceptive about. I definitely would want to explore that whole story. Why did you tell the story when you, in fact, did not have that as a plan? What was your plan, or did you have no plan? You know, Why did you come up about that? Why did your attorney show recall? It makes no sense in the world he should have done that at that point. Definitely supports the idea that that is definitely a bullshit and a lie. However, the rest of it's completely truthful, and most of the reason I did this was because people are curious if whether or not he was truthful, but focusing on apparently famous people on Twitter or wherever. Remember, Twitter's not a real place, people. But where they were talking about whether or not it was fake or real and their justifications and why they know, none of which are experts in this stuff. And the thing is, it's completely legit. There's nothing about his emotional breakdown that's fake. There's nothing about the process in his body language walking through that story that suggests deception other than especially at the one point where he mentions his plan. We go off script of what he's doing to what he's thinking. He definitely disagrees with that. Now, it could in fact be that that was his plan and he can't recall it. That's scientifically possible, however unlikely. Now, if anybody wants me to go through and look at the rest of the trial or prosecuting stuff, there's hours of that stuff that would take me forever. That's why I pick short clips like this because there's a lot more that goes into it. Hopefully, by using this example, if you're looking at other other people, the stuff I've seen that's available usually on YouTube, they're reading body language, is they'll watch something like a two-minute clip and point out one or two things that they're usually only half right on at best, and they'll miss all these other pieces. But hopefully this shows to you how many different things there are in such a short amount of time, how we put them together and looking at the whole story and why we say they come in clusters, the clusters matter. It also goes into things like tone of voice and the word choices they use, and not just where an arm is and that eye movements matter. You just have to know how to read them all together, and definitely not that any one position definitively means something, let alone one specific thing, is very rare. They often can mean many things. Hope you learned something from this, regardless of your point of view or what do you think should happen to this kid, but use this as a teaching point. Watch that video, correlate it back and forth with this one, and take a look at the next time you see a politician or somebody on trial or some documentary resulting in that, especially when you can look straight on in their face, which help is a lot more helpful, and see what ideas you come up with about what's happening with them.